Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Praise the Lord. Bye, honey. Daughters are going back to class. Amen. Pastor Joaquin said last time he got up here, he said, we have the blessing that in this place we're serious about the Lord. Um, we don't come here to waste our time. And so tonight, let's pray and let's get our heart ready to hear from God. And um, my hope is that I can... Deliver the message that I think he has for you tonight and that you guys can receive it. So let's, let's get ready for God's word and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be in this place. We thank you for your, your patience towards us. We thank you that you keep stretching your hand out. We thank you that your voice and your mercies are renewed every morning. Lord, we... We fall down, we lose our way, and you keep, you keep showing us the way. You keep sh picking us up and showing us the way that you have for us. Speak to us tonight, Lord. We prepare our hearts right now. And we ask you to do your will in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go up. We're going to see quite a few verses tonight. Let's uh, pull up John 10.10. 10. And um, I guess you guys are working on the echo back there. So we're going to look at Scripture and we're going to see if we can understand God's thoughts. We can understand God's mind and God's heart. So the scriptures, this scripture says, The thief does not come but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So Jesus said the reason he came was that you might have life. So it's really, as a starting point, as a foundation, it's important that we understand that God has a life for us. If Jesus had not come or... If we didn't need Jesus to come to have this life that he's talking about, then he came in vain. In other words, the life he's giving us is different than the life that we had before he came. So he's talking about abundant life. Praise the Lord. Okay. He's talking about a life that he came to give us. And I want you, I want you to think about this because all of you have a life that you're living. All of you have a life that you desire. All of you have a life you're trying to build, right? Everybody's trying to do something with their life. Everybody is, you have all the time in the world to do something with your life. And we're all trying to figure out what we're going to do and how to make it better, how to make it meaningful. But God says that he has a life for you. And so as, we're going to dig into this, but... As a, as, a, as a starting point, I want you to ask yourself, 
Am I seeking to build my life or am I seeking the life that God has for me? Ask yourself, are you seeking the life that God has for you? Is that front and center in your mind when you wake up in the morning? Are you thinking about the fact, hey, God has a life for me. What is it that God has for me? What is it that God is trying to do in my life? Because the Bible says he came that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. And many of us are very busy. Many of us are really stressed out. And I guarantee you the things you're stressed out about, are not, that's not the life that God has for you. The things that you're worried about are not the things that God would have you worry about. Because the Bible says, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. So we many times are consumed with a life that is not the life of God. But God, so I'm trying to make a distinction. Before we jump into the verses, I'm trying to make a distinction, a clear distinction between the life that God has for you and the life that we set out to live on our own. Let's go to Jeremiah 29, 11. The Bible says, for I know the thoughts, and in my translation, it says, I know the plans. Can you put up the New American Standard? Do we have that back there? There's another translation. New American Standard says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future. There we go. For I know the plans that I have for you. So not only God has... Now we're getting more specific. First we said, I came that you may have life. But what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to enjoy it abundantly? But God gets more specific. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. God not only has a life for you, God went further. He says, he has plans for you. And his plans are not, yeah, I'll come up, I'll come up with something. He says, I know I already know the Bible says that they were prepared beforehand. God has plans for you. Now, the note that I have on my, in my computer says, you have your plans and God has his plans. And again, we're trying to make a distinction. God has a plan for your life. You have a plan for your life. And we're going to see that nine times out of ten or 99 times out of 100, God's plans are not your plans and his ways are not your ways. So we find ourselves many times pursuing our own plans. And I just want you to know, and I, I believe it's God's heart tonight, that you understand. God has a life for you. And God has plans for you that he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. And their plans to give you a future and a hope. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So God has plans. And, and we're going to find out, because he, he describes his plans in Isaiah 55. Let's go to Isaiah 55, verse 8. He describes his ways. So you have your ways and God has his ways. You have your plans. <laughs> the camera people told me they're going to kill me. <laughs> Because I'm going in and out of a, 
I'll try to stay in place. Um, you have your plans, and God has his plans. You have your ways, and God has his ways. You have a life, and God has a life. I'm trying to make a real clear distinction here, because we're caught up in our ways. We're caught up in, and hey, I'm preaching. If you, I wish I had a mirror up here, because I'm preaching to myself, okay? So if I'm getting on you, I'm just getting excited. That's just how I talk. I'm not... I'm not directing it towards you any more than I'm directing it towards me. But we're caught up in our plans. We caught, we're caught up in our ways. We're caught up in our thoughts. And the Bible says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Let's go to the next verse. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So guess what? If you're walking in your ways, you can't be walking in God's ways. If you're walking according to your thoughts, you can't be walking according to God's thoughts. If you're seeking your life, you can't be receiving the life God has for you. And the reason I'm, what I'm trying to do is bring you to an awareness that God has something for you. Because in some people... That will spark an interest. In some people, that'll spark a desire to seek God's plans, to seek God's ways for my life. What is this life that God has for me? The Bible says to stir one another up in faith. And I'm trying to stir up your faith. Some of you have been Christian for a long time. And we're going to read these, we're going to read more on that. But the Bible says, keep seeking the things above. Because many of us, I don't even, I think I'm approaching 20 years, believe it or not. I got saved when I was 15. Kenny said, was talking about how long ago. It's funny how he talks about in my day. I'm there too. 20 years ago. But the, so I started in God's ways 20 years ago. But the Bible says, and I'm trying to stir you up, to keep seeking his ways. To continue to strive. For God's ways and not your ways. So he says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And now, I believe I may have copy-pasted. I missed something here, but let's go to Colossians 3. Yeah, Colossians 3, verse 3. Therefore, you have, are we still using, are we still using the New American Standard up there? Therefore, let's see what we have up there. That's not new. I'll just read mine for now. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the ways above. So, Ask yourself this question. God wants you to ask yourself this question. What are you seeking? God has something for you. God has plans for you. God has ways he wants you to walk in. It says keep seeking the things above. So if God has something for us, 
And it's his ways are above our ways. Ask yourself, what are you seeking? It says, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on, that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Here is a very profound statement. Your life, this abundant life that we're talking about, is hidden in Christ. Your life, the abundant life that God has for you, is hidden in Christ. That's why it says, seek the things above where Christ is. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Why is he talking about died? Because it, and we'll see later, it says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed. Behold, all things are made new. So in Christ, God desires that you live a new life, which is in a stark contrast. There's a real marked distinction between the life that God has for you. The life, it says, you have died. Your old life has passed. Your old way of living should be long gone, and your new life is hidden in Christ, which is why it says, your life is hidden in Christ. Seek the things that are above, not the things that are below. So, what are you seeking? Let's go to Romans 12. Romans, sorry, Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. First of all, let's go to the end, okay? The whole purpose of this verse, he gives us a bunch of instructions, and we're going to dissect it. But the whole purpose of this verse, if you go to the end, it says, so that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that you may know how to discern. God, so God, here's, here's the thing. God has a life for you. Okay, check. I got it. God has plans for you. Okay, his ways are higher than your ways. So what does that mean? That I'm not going to understand his ways? It says no. It says, I'm going to tell you what you need to do so that you will know what the will of God is. So God has a plan for you. And guess what? It's not meant to be hidden from you. God wants you to know. It says that you may know, that you may prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I looked up prove. Because to me, the way I think of prove, I couldn't see how I could fit in this verse. So I looked up in the dictionary prove. And you know what the first definition says? If you go to dictionary, I think it's, I think I use dictionary.com. It might have been Webster. The first definition, and it says archaic, meaning this is an old way to use this word. But it's the only definition that even makes sense in this. 
it says that you may know by experience. You know how you can go to school and you can learn something. But when you get out into the real world, what you learned in the book doesn't, is not as, it might be true, but it is not as rich and as um, full of color and detail as on-the-job training. You read something in a book, and let me tell you, there are times, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an engineer, when you walk into a room full of engineers that have been around the block, and you speak something that you don't have much experience in, but you know what the book says, you stick out like a sore thumb. Everybody starts laughing at you because they know you've never set a pole in your life. They know that you've never implemented the system you're talking about. Because it's one thing to know, to know it up here. It's another thing to know, to prove it, to walk through the fire, to know by experience. There are times when I walk into a meeting and I look around and when they start talking about something that I know about technically but I haven't done, I have learned, and I learned the hard way, I've learned to stay quiet. I may know the answer, but I stay quiet just in case because too often experience is, the, is a much more profound teacher than the book. And so in the same way, this whole thing about knowing God is not about reading the Bible gets you started. Reading the Bible gives you a direction. Reading the Bible gives you a foundation. But then you have to walk in it. You have to live it. You have to, the Bible says it's the doers of the word and not the hearers. The Bible says Satan knows God's word. And, he, and the demons know God's word and they tremble. But they're still demons. And he's still Satan. So God wants you to know his will. So Turn to the person next to you and say, God has plans for you. Now turn to the other person on your other side and say, God has plans for me. God wants you to know his will. It's not just that I'm telling you that he has a life for you. God wants you to know his will. And so put the verse back up, please. Romans 12:1. So the end of the verse says that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In the beginning, it says, do not be conformed to this world. Actually, that's perfect. No, no. Go back to verse one. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. This is I want to pause here. It says, I beseech you, I urge you, brethren, that you may present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is Paul talking. He wrote most of the New Testament. Paul is talking, and he's talking not to the disciples. He's talking not to, or, or not to uh, the apostles. He says, I beseech you, brethren. He's talking to the church. He's talking to you and to me. Everybody say, to you and to me. Okay, so he's talking to you and to me. And he says, I urge you. This is serious. I, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Why am, I, why am I pausing here? 
Because so many of us make a distinction between pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers, worship leaders, and I just go to church. That's not for me. So many of us ask the question, how far, Lord? How much do you want from me? I know that the pastor is sold out for Christ. I know that the worship leader lives for the Lord. But I just really like to go to church, Lord. Or, Lord, I'm not ready for that commitment. Look at what it says. God's will. In order for you even to know God's will, do you want to know God's will? He says, brethren. He doesn't say, hear ye, hear ye, all apostles. He doesn't say to the distinguished disciple from Philippi. He says, brethren, everybody, everybody, present yourself as a living sacrifice. You want to know God's will? It starts. God's will is that you live for him. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. I urge you. That you may present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable. It's the only reasonable thing to do before God's love, before God's sacrifice for us. Verse 2. It says, and. So, first of all, brethren, everybody, present yourself as a living sacrifice if you want to know God's will. And do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it says, it says, we have to renew our mind. Remember how we were talking about God's ways are higher than our ways? Well, he, he continues to emphasize the fact, hey, I want you not only to know that my ways are different, I want you to learn how to think like me. I want you to learn my ways. I want you to learn my thoughts. I don't want you to be conformed to this world. I want your mind to be transformed. I want your mind to be renewed. So God wants to change the way you think. God's ways are higher than your ways. God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts. But God wants you to learn his thoughts. He doesn't want you to be like this world. He doesn't want you to think like this world. So, another opportunity to reflect. If you think the way this world thinks, if the way you reason, if the way you go through life, and the way you deal with situations, if your thoughts are according to this world's thoughts, you can, you can be certain that that's not God's will. You can be certain that God wants to show you a different way of thinking, a different way of doing things, a different mindset. It says, he doesn't say, you know, evolve. He says transform. Completely different if you, if you don't see the distinction between God's thoughts and your thoughts, or if you don't see the distinction between God's ways and the world's ways, then this message is for you. God wants you to learn 
God wants you to change the way you think. Second Corinthians 5.17, this is the verse we mentioned earlier. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. You got to be different. God wants you to be different. It says, behold, all things have become new. The reason I'm, what I'm trying to, to do is establish the distinction between our life before Christ between a life that's dedicated to self and what it is to have a life that's dedicated to God. A life that is a living sacrifice to God. A life that is seeking the things above. A life that is fulfilling the plans that God has for you, that God has for us. Let's go to uh, Philippians 3.17. Again, Paul says, he says, brethren, join in following my example. I love this. Again, brethren. Paul, again, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, says, hey, you guys, follow my example. This isn't for the super apostles. He actually uses that term. I do not consider myself inferior to the super apostles. Okay? But he says, brethren, all of you, follow my example. How much does the Lord want from me? Well, look at Paul's life. Jesus said, make disciples of all men. He didn't say make believers. He didn't say make followers. He said, make disciples of all men, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. How much does Jesus want from you? How much did Jesus give you? Everything. How much is Jesus, how much does it cost to follow Christ? Everything. So Paul says, brethren, join in following my example. Notice he's talking, he says, brethren. Secondly, he says, follow my example. He doesn't say, learn my Bible studies. He doesn't say, take notes and make sure that you can remember everything I said. He said, follow in my example. I have left you a life I want you to walk in. I want you, your life, I want my life to be a pattern for you. So you want to know God's will? Christ is the pattern. And it's a high bar. When you walk away from this, you, you have to start, and we're going to get it to the verses. Okay, what do I do? This is a bit, this is, what's my next step? We're going to get to that. But I want you to understand that the bar is God has an awesome life for you. But you have to give up your life. You can't do both. You can't stay on your ways and, stay and, and, and walk in his ways. So God has a life for you. But it requires everything. It says, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have, as you have us for a pattern. Next verse, please. Philippians 3, 17. 
Yeah, 18 now. Yep. For many of you, many walk, of whom I told often, and now even tell you weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So there's some people that walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So we're learning, Lord, how is it that I should walk? Well, we're about to read what it is, how not to walk. Go ahead, next, next verse, please. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. We want to look at two things here. Number one, it says, whose God is their belly. My translation says, whose God is their appetite. That means they live to serve their own desires. If you live to serve your own desires, the Bible says those are enemies of Christ. God has called you not to live for yourself. Yet again, another, another verse showing us that God has called us not to live for ourselves. He says, the enemies of, of the cross of Christ are those whose God is their appetite. I live to serve myself. So I ask you, and I ask myself, who am I serving? When I wake up in the morning, who am I serving? The decisions that I make, what's the motivation behind each decision? How I live my life, who is it for? Who am I serving? Who are you serving? It says, who set their mind on earthly things. And this is, this is, this is a challenge to all of us. Because we set our mind on earthly things many times. But we know that that's not God's will. And we know that God wants us to learn. This is an interesting word, that word set. Because it's kind of like, think of something, what do we set in our life? We set the thermostat. And we say, look, this is the temperature. And what happens is the AC will run, run till it gets that temperature, and it doesn't stop running. If the, if the thermostat is busted, it'll keep running because it doesn't know that it reached that temperature. That's the setting. That's the temperature that I'm going to hit or I'm going to die trying. What else do we set? We set the oven, right? We set the oven, preheat to 350, 10 minutes. And you throw your pizza in there for 15 minutes later, your, your old pizza, and it's just like new. We set. What do we do? We put, we make a determination. This is the temperature that you have to get to. And in this, in this case, it's, I guess, similar to a thermostat. You set. There's, in a lot of machinery, on motors, you set the timing. And, and you adjust it. And however you set the timing, that's how all the cylinders are going to fire. And if you set it wrong, the machine is going to run according to the setting. So the setting determines the temperature. The setting determines the performance. It's not the other way around. The outside factors don't affect the thermostat. The temperature doesn't affect the thermostat. The thermostat affects the temperature. And in the same way... Our circumstances are not to control our mind. 
Our circumstances are not to control our thoughts. We are to set our mind on things above. We determine where our mind is set. And we set, the Bible says, it's like a setting like your thermostat. I'm going to set it on things above. And I don't care if it's 50 degrees. I don't care if it's 100 degrees. My mind is set on things above. I don't care if I'm going through difficult times. I don't care if I'm going through ble uh, abundant blessing. My mind is set on things above. And so the mind, when we talk about transforming the mind, many people are, many people are controlled by their emotions. And whatever their emotions tell them to do, they do it. Many people, some people are more refined and they're controlled by their mind. And they can put emotions aside, and they can make decisions objectively. And then there is the ability to, to determine what you're going to think. And in other words, you can tell your emotions, you can control your emotions to an extent. Or, or a better way of saying it is, you can live your life without being controlled by your emotions. You can also live your life without being controlled by your thoughts. And, and we're going to see that. So your mind and what you, the way you think and the things that run through your mind many times, it feels like they're out of control. I don't know if you've ever had thoughts racing and you're trying to, you, you, you either start to worry or you want to concentrate on something and a hundred different thoughts come into your mind. And, and we feel like, they're in control of us. But the Bible says that we're to set our mind. It's, an, it's a commandment that we're to take control of our thoughts. It's a decision. It comes down to a decision that you make. This is what I'm going to think about. And kind of an interesting uh, example is I've had somebody tell me, and it's, it's an overly... Sim simplified example, but they tell you, okay, I want you to count to, I want you to tell me what you did last, tell me what you did last night. And while they're telling you what they did last night, you say, and in your mind, I want you to count to 10. You can't. You can't, you can't be thinking about what you did. If you set your mind to think about telling a story, you can't also be counting. And so in the same way, Whenever your thoughts come, we're going to get into that verse, but whenever your thoughts start to overrun you, know this. You can take control of your thoughts, and you're commanded to take control of your thoughts. So before we get off of this, it says, uh, Paul, Paul was an example for all brethren, and he gave us the instruction to set our mind on the things of God and not on earthly things. So, some of us only know earthly things. We hear this, set your mind on things above, and all we know is earthly things. Some of us can't tell the difference between what's earthly and what's heavenly. Most of us know what's earthly. But then, here's what I found. You get to the part, okay, I'm going to set my mind on things. I'm not going to set my mind on things below. I'm going to set my mind on things above. Silence. What are the things above? How are we to know what, what, is he, what does it mean to set your mind on things above? 
And I, I love... I love scripture. I love how God answers us sometimes. Let's look at Proverbs 4, verse 7. How do I know, Lord? Okay, I know I'm supposed to set my mind on things above. What does that mean? What does it mean to set your mind on things above? How do I do that? Proverbs 4, verse 7. It's not working. Okay, it says, the beginning, who knows what the beginning of wisdom is? Beginning of wisdom, anyone know? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But there's another verse. The Bible says, I love this. This is awesome, okay? I love God what, <laughs> when, when you think you're... The beginning of wisdom is this. Acquire wisdom. Meaning, if you don't have any wisdom, step one is start to look for it. The beginning of wisdom is this. Acquire wisdom. And with all you're acquiring, get understanding. In other words, step one is to recognize that you need to seek this out. Okay, so God, what does it mean to set my mind on things above? The beginning of wisdom is this. Acquire wisdom. You need to start learning about this. You need to start inquiring. You need to start asking the Lord to teach you. And then James 1, verse 5, oh, I think we said it doesn't work. So James 1, verse 5 says, and this one's a little more encouraging, if any man lack wisdom, hello? If any man lack wisdom, let him ask God. This is complicated. Wait, wait, wait. How am I going to know the mysteries of God? If any man lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously. How does God give? Generously and without reproach. He's not going to make you feel dumb for asking. And it will be given to him. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. And it will be given to him. So Lord, what am I to do? I know that you want me to renew my mind. I know that you want me to set my mind on things above. But I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do that. I know I need to do that. And I, and I want to respond to you. But I don't know how to do that. Well, it says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you generously. Good measure. Okay, we're back. Second Corinthians. Are we back with the verses? Good. All right. Second Corinthians 10.5. Here's where we get into this whole thing about mind control. Casting down arguments and every... You know what? Let's go back a verse just, just for context. For, our, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God... For pulling down strongholds, verse 5. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. Bringing, this is how you set your mind on things above. This is how you set your, remember we talked about setting and the whole thermostat and the, 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 the oven, how you set it to a temperature. This is how you set your mind on things above. Bringing 
every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is a battle. By the way, the previous verses talk about a spiritual battle. This is a battle. This is not fun. This is not fun. But like anything that you do, the more you do, the better you get at it. And if we could leave that verse up there. This is powerful, guys. This is, this is at the core of the challenge to renew your mind. It says, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So what does God say? First of all, ask God what he says. You need to know. If you don't know, ask him. He'll give you generously. He'll give you more than you ask for. Okay? And then, when you have a thought that doesn't align with God's will, with, when you have a thought that doesn't align with the words of Christ, you take that thought into captivity. You order your thoughts and say, no, I'm not going to think how I used to think. I'm not going to think on something that does not, that violates obedience to Christ. So our thoughts race. We get, we get crazy thoughts in our life. And we get persistent thoughts that really just, they just get in there and they drive us nuts. And many of us, those thoughts hold a lot of influence over our decisions. They hold a lot of influence over our mood. They hold a lot of influence over our, the way, our personality or, or, or our, 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 um, our emotional state. But the Bible says to take those thoughts captive to obedience. So your thoughts, this is a commandment. You have a commandment to take those thoughts captive. You rebuke them you, and you, you begin to fight to set your mind. Have you ever tried to do something and it's frustrating and it takes a long time? I imagine for women that the, 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 the pinnacle of this would be giving birth, right? Because... You don't want to do it. I mean, you want to do it, but you know what I mean? It's like, you got, I'm sure you have a bill. I have to imagine you have a billion thoughts racing through your head. You have a bunch of different things you're dealing with, and you have to set your mind to the task at hand. You can't sit there and, you know, as far as you're concerned, the world is coming to an end at that moment, and, but, it, but none of that matters. You need to get, you have a job to do. We need to take care of this. And, and for men, a lot of times, you know, we embark on things and sometimes the, whatever we go, the path we decide to take is not easy. And we go through challenges and we go through setbacks. And if you don't set your mind to say, I'm going to do this, come heaven or high water, you'll end up giving up. And this is a battle that, 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 that we saw earlier. But you have to fight. You have to fight to think according to God's word. You have to fight to think according to God's thoughts, which God wants to reveal to you. The key is God's will is not, many people think God's will is something abstract that we're not meant to know. Only God knows God's will, and we, we have that saying all the time, God knows. And, and that's true, there are things that we won't know, but God wants us to know his will for our life. And he wants us to know his thoughts. And the only thing we need is to ask him. And he'll show us. 
And then we have to take that and apply it in every situation in our life. And it's too late, by the way, it's too late to try to do it when the situation arises. You have to do this in your thought life. When it comes time to make a decision, it's probably too late. You have to be, make, you have to be this has to be your meditation. God's word has to be your meditation, forming your thoughts, forming the desires of your heart, forming your plans so that when it's time to make a decision, all your thoughts, all your plans, all your heart has been transformed to think how God thinks. And then you'll know what God's will is. Let's go to Philippians 4, verse 4. Here's an example. This is good because now we get into the practical. Here's an example of resetting. You think about a phone, when your phone gets messed up or your computer gets messed up, you reset it. I work with computers a lot and sometimes they call us for help and the first thing we tell them is have you reset and they get, they get upset because they're like, that's your answer for everything. You got to start there. Reset. And so God wants you to reset. God wants you to learn how to set your mind on things above. God wants you to learn how to renew your mind. Look how God doesn't make it complicated. I made it complicated trying to explain it, but look how God makes it simple. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let's just keep it there. Easy. How many times have we read that? How many times have we read that? Do we do it? That's not complicated, but it's a battle. Right? Because you have thoughts that say, there is no reason to rejoice in this situation. In your life, you're not rejoicing because you're looking at some reason that you have why you shouldn't rejoice. But the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. This coming from a man who was beaten. I, I don't remember if he was stoned, but he was um, whipped. He was flogged. He was left, I think, twice left for dead. I don't know how many times he was shipwrecked. This guy says, rejoice in the Lord always. And oh, in case you didn't catch it, again, I say rejoice. You have to pro. This is, you know what this is? This is, this is an instruction. This is not a feeling. We think joy is a feeling, right? But God says it's a decision. Rejoicing is a decision. And it's something that happens up here. Sometimes it happens as a reaction. But you want to renew your mind? God, God doesn't make it complicated. You know how pastor always says, how do we pray without ceasing? Simple. Just, how you just like you complain without ceasing, just turn your complaint into prayer. The same way, rejoice in the Lord always. We're always worried. We're always complaining. You have a new battle to fight. Every time your mind, you set, you set your mind to rejoice always. And every time that, it, that your mind wants to go away from rejoicing, you take those thoughts that are pulling you away from rejoicing and you bring them 
subject them to the obedience of Christ and say, I have an instruction to rejoice in the Lord always. Next verse, please. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Man, this for me is like a shot to the head. I try, and then something will come up. I get excited, and gentleness goes out the window. I'm working on this. But this is a decision. This is a decision. We decide to be gentle. This is, some of us, it comes more naturally to than others. But this is a character trait, and it's a decision. In our mind, where is the biggest battlefield? In our mind. How many of us, there's funny stories about people who are, there's jokes in Spanish about people who are fighting in their mind with somebody before they even get to them. And when the guy tries to help him out, he, the other guy insults him. And he's like, I'm just trying to help out. Um, in our mind, we pick, how many fights do you pick in your mind? And out of 10, maybe two materialize? And sometimes you get upset because they didn't materialize because you were ready. You had all the answers ready to go. And, and the person wasn't looking to pick a fight. And you're like, man, I'll get him next time. Or you walk away from a situation and you say, why didn't I say that when I had them? I shouldn't. I always think of these things after they leave. That's not. That's the old way of thinking. But God wants us to renew our mind. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. That's a decision in your mind to be gentle. Next verse, please. Here's an awesome one. I know that I... I'm not sure how clear it was before we got here to, to these verses about what it meant to renew your mind. But God's word is awesome and it's, and it's clear. Consider, consider your thoughts and then read this verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Let's not even, I'm not even going to go ahead. Be anxious for nothing. Where does anxiety live? Up here. And the Bible says, do not be like the world, but tr be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says, my ways are higher than your ways. Be anxious for nothing. Where are we in that spectrum? Anxious for some things? Anxious for everything? Be anxious for nothing. That's, again, it's programming your mind. It says transforming your mind or, or, or being transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is who we ought to be. And this is how we ought to think. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make with thanksgiving. Man, check, 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 check. Be anxious for nothing with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. 
Not your complaints be made known to God. With thanksgiving in your heart. You know what this is? Again, it's a decision. And where does this decision take place? This is not talking about in conversation. This is not talking about amongst the brethren. This is in your, th- in your thought life. When you close the door, you're anxious for nothing. When you close the door, you give thanks to God. Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I thank you that you're in my life. And I thank you that you know what you're doing. And Lord, I'm not going to worry. My, my, I look at the circumstances and, and, and my, I feel like worrying, but I'm making a decision. I'm not going to worry. I'm going to trust in you. Because that's what you tell me to do. And I thank you because you're good. And I just trust that, that you're going to pull me through. I trust that you're going to be good to me. And you make your petition made known to God. Next verse. And then, and then the fruit. And then the abundant life and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So God has a life for us. And God has plans for you. And you have to make a decision to leave behind your ways and to ask God. It says, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you lack wisdom, ask. I'll give you generously. You have a decision to make. And I, I'm trying to stir you up to say, Lord, to start to ask, Lord, what are your plans? Lord, teach me how to think. Lord, teach me to be anxious for nothing. Lord, teach me to be gentle to all men. Teach me to make my petitions made known to you with with thanksgiving. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. And let me tell you that that is abundant life. The peace of God The peace of God is abundant life. We're going to close with these verses, Romans 8, verses 5, start in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the mind of the Spirit, who will you be? Will you be of those that set your mind on the things of the flesh? Are you going to be, there's a distinction, and you have to decide. Who will you be? Will you set your mind on things above? Next verse. For to be carnally minded, earthly minded, to continue in your own ways is death. Listen to this. To continue in your own ways is death, but to be spiritually minded. There is a spiritual mind. There's a spiritual mind. There's a spiritual mindset, okay? 
To be spiritually minded is life and peace. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. And that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, would guard your hearts and minds. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. And that's God's will for your life. Next verse. The carnal mind is at enmity with God. Next verse. If you set your mind, it, so then those who are in the flesh, who are those, and we read earlier that those are who set their mind on the things of the flesh, cannot please God. Our old way of thinking, when we live our life without seeking the Lord first, without li- when we don't live for God, we cannot please God. Next verse, please. Actually, let's jump to verse 12. My translation says, Therefore, brethren, we are under obligation. Before the Lord, we are under obligation. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. Um, Next verse, please. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body and you will live next verse please for as many as are led for as many as are led by the spirit of God these are the sons of God amen as we do the worship as we close in worship we want to open up the altar and let's have everybody be on their feet. And if you want to leave behind, if, you've, if you want to leave behind your ways, if you want to tell the Lord, Lord, I want the life that you have for me. I, I don't want to f- chase after my plans. I want your plans. And if you want, if, if you want to chase after that, the altar is open just come before the Lord and say Lord I'm leaving my ways behind I don't I don't I don't want my ways I don't want my plans Lord I want your plans Lord show me your ways Lord, you said, if anyone lack wisdom, let him ask the Lord. And here I am, Lord. Here we are asking. We don't know, Lord, but we've heard your declaration. We've heard your word tonight that you will answer us, that you will give us wisdom. Lord, we want to know. You know the plans that you have for us. Lord, we want to know your will. We want to do your will. And Lord, those of us who are responding to this word tonight, we're making a decision to leave behind our ways, to leave behind our plans, 
to leave behind our thoughts. And we ask that you would fill us with your ways. Lord, we ask that you fill us with your thoughts. Fill our heart and fill our mind with your thoughts, Lord. And guide us into your plans for our life. We surrender, Lord, right now. We surrender to everything we've been holding on to. We surrender everything that has held us back from your plans. We repent, Lord. And we ask for grace. Lord, we ask for your grace and your provision to help us. Lord, we know it's your will. That's what we're asking for. We're asking that your will would be done in our life. So we know it's your will. And we pray that you pour out all everything we need, Lord. All provision, all wisdom, all, all of the help from the Holy Spirit. To help us along the way, Lord. We want to do your will. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Just have some time with the Lord. And, and the areas in your life that, that the Lord brought to mind as the worship song plays. Just talk with the Lord.